0: This is the Apex United Methodist
1: Church podcast. So this morning, uh, we are continuing uh, our sermon series on the book of Daniel. Uh, and we have been uh, journeying through this book uh, all summer long. Uh, we have gotten through the first uh, six chapters, the last uh, seven or eight weeks, and then we're going to wrap up uh, in the next two weeks uh, with chapters uh, 7 through 12. And, and I'll explain that in a moment, sort of why we're, we're taking that shift. Uh, as we shift into chapter 7, we actually are moving uh, in a very different direction as far as uh, the book of Daniel has been going. Uh, Daniel chapters 1 through 6 really is uh, the history of Daniel's story. It's been telling us uh, sort of what's been happening in Daniel's life as Daniel engages with uh, the Babylonians, with Nebuchadnezzar, and then with uh, the Medes and the Persians, with uh, Belshazzar and then and then Darius last week. And so we've been watching as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in exile from Jerusalem are living into uh, the patterns uh, of responding to power uh, in that exiled community in Babylon. And so we hear these stories, we, t- we see their action, we see uh, the responses they make. And then in chapter 7, we see a shift. In chapter 7, uh, no longer are they responding to those powers. Daniel uh, starts to recollect uh, these dreams that he receives from God, these, these visions from God about what is to come, about the future uh, in that space, but also the future of the kingdom of God. And he begins to cast these great visions, and we start to, to read stories about, about beasts and about bears and lions and leopards and, and these, uh, oh my, uh, and these wings that like, sort of fly out of the, the, the multiple heads and all, all the things that are happening. We see these grand visions that, that are sort of reminiscent of, Re- of Revelation. They're these, these, these sort of grand pictures of what, of what the apocalypse, uh, the end of times, might look like. And we see this in Daniel for the next six chapters. We see from 7 to 12 what we call apocalyptic scripture. It's about the apocalypse, about the end times. And it very, it very much resembles what we see in Revelation. And so we, as a church, we as pastors, as preachers, as Christians, have a choice to make when it comes to this literature. We have several ways that we approach it historically. One way we've approached books like the second half of Daniel is we have simply looked at them and said, you know what, they have great information for us and maybe they can predict the future and so we look at them and we begin to study like the numbers in them and the numerology and and daniel has a lot of numerology in it uh some of it you may be familiar with there's something called the 77s or the 70 weeks Uh, there's a number that's 1290 days and there's several other numbers especially in these next six chapters and people use these numbers to try to predict when the end times will come and they set dates like you know january 7th 1972 and they say that this is it you know, the end times are coming today, and then 1972 comes, and the end doesn't happen. And so they say, well, I must have read the numbers wrong. And so we go back, and we try again, and, and they set another date, and, and we, we see this. And all that we know from that is that uh, nobody's been right yet. Uh, and we also know that Jesus said, it's not y'all to know anyway. That's a loose translation of Matthew, but that's what he said. And so that's, that, that's one way to approach apocalyptic literature. Another way is that we simply set it aside. We do nothing with it. We say, you know what? This isn't for us. We can't understand it, and therefore we won't talk about it. I remember when I was first uh, becoming a, when I was a young pastor, I was first coming into preaching. Uh, a church member here, actually, uh, used to tell a story about Henry Lovelace, who served this church for many years faithfully. And, and Henry uh, is the beloved pastor. If you, did, if you know Henry, and I say Henry's name, you all say, oh, Henry. We've never had a pastor like Henry again. I'm like, I'm right here. Like, you know, just, anyway, <laughs> Side note. But Henry would say this about preaching apocalyptic literature. Henry would say uh, that, he said, there's three rules to preaching. Uh, The first rule of preaching is that every time you preach, make people laugh. He said the second rule is that you need to move their emotions with a poem or a song, something to to move people. He said the third and probably the most important rule is just never preach on Revelation. (laughs) That's what he said. And so Henry like, Henry, like many others, just said, let's just avoid it, right? Let's just not talk about it. And if we need set it aside out of Scripture, you know, maybe we don't have to deal with this thing because honestly, we're not supposed to understand it anyway. Daniel didn't understand it. Uh, so many others haven't understand it. Why do we think we're smart enough to get it uh, anyway? Uh, there, and there's another approach, and that's the approach we're going to take uh, the next two weeks. Uh, we're going to look at three chapters this week, three chapters next week. Uh, Angelo's actually thanked me for this personally. Uh, he said that he was very thankful that I waited until his third sermon uh, to make him preach on the apocalypse. So you're welcome. Yeah, uh huh, no problem. Uh, but so the next two weeks, this is the approach we're going to take. Uh, we're going to look at these next six chapters, and, and we're going to look particularly at how Daniel responds uh, to these visions. How Daniel responds to these great visions of the future, of the end times of the apocalypse, and how as a, a faithful person in exile might respond to this vision of God. Because we believe these are visions of God. We believe this is God's word teaching us something. And Daniel, even in his lack of knowledge, even in his lack of understanding, tries to figure out, as he's done across time, what it means to be faithful. What it means to be a faithful uh, God follower, person and child of God, uh, in the midst of a trying time in this space. And we're going to ask the same question of ourselves. What does it mean for us to be faithful? What does it mean for us to respond uh, to these types of, of visions? I'm going to invite you to open with me, if you have your Bible, or if you have your app on your phone, perhaps, uh, to Daniel chapter 8. We're going to jump in uh, actually there. Uh, Daniel 7 has great imagery. Again, if you're reading along with us, you'll see it. This is imagery of, of beasts and leopards and lions. and I mean, it's just it's glorious. And again, it kind of reminds us of Revelation. So if you want to see that, feel free to read it. Uh, but we're going to read, as an example, uh, Daniel 8, uh, beginning with verse 3. And This is what it says. As Daniel was laying by two rivers, the Elam and the river Uli, he looks up and he saw a ram standing beside the river. And the ram had two horns. Both horns were long, but one was longer than the other. And the longer one came up second. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. And all the beasts were powerless to withstand it, and no one could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became strong. As I was watching, a male goat appeared from the west, coming across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a horn between its eyes, and it came toward the ram with the two horns that I had seen standing beside the river, and it ran at it with a savage force. I saw it approaching the ram, and it was enraged against it and struck the ram, breaking its two horns, and the ram did not have power to withstand it. It threw the ram down to the ground and trampled upon it, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from its power. Then the male goat grew exceedingly great, but at the height of its power, the great horn was broken. In its place, there came up four prominent horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, a little one, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the host of heaven. It threw down to the earth some of the hosts and some of the stars and trampled on them. Even against the prince of the host, it acted arrogantly. It took the regular burnt offering away from him and overthrew the place of the sanctuary. Because of wickedness, the host was given over to it together with the regular burnt offering. It cast truth to the ground and kept prospering at what it did. And then I heard a holy One speaking. and, a ho- and another holy one said to the one that spoke, "For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering? the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary?" And host to be trampled. And he answered them, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. This too is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we hear your word uh, this morning, as we hear what you have for us, we ask that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, and that you uh, would prepare us to receive what you have for us. So as your word is proclaimed, I do simply ask the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, might be acceptable uh, in your sight. Amen. So Daniel receives this vision, and it's this vision of rams and goats and horns and and this great destruction of the temple and of God's holy place. And Daniel needs to decide what to do with this. How do I I receive this? How do I receive what God has offered uh, to me? Uh, verse 15, as we keep going through Daniel chapter 8, the very first thing that Daniel tries to do is understand it. It says in verse 15, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I tried to understand it. I tried to interpret it. I tried to, uh, to see the essence of it. And then what happens is, is Gabriel, the angel Gabriel comes down and begins to interpret this vision. And if you're interested in these things, it's actually really fascinating to read Daniel across the history of this time. Again, Daniel takes place between about 600 B.C., uh, when Daniel is a teenager, when he's about 16 years old. And it concludes about 520 BC or so, uh, when Daniel is about 80 years old. I and mean, he has is, is grown up in wisdom and maturity, and he's grown up with, a, with an ear for God. And so it's around that time, when he's in his 70s and 80s, that he's hearing this vision. And Gabriel begins to interpret all the things in front of him. And this is what he says He says in verse, uh, verse 18, starting there, he says, Listen, I will tell you what will take place later in the period of wrath for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw, this is verse 20, with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And so as as they're looking at this region that is the ancient Near East, that is Babylon, he says the first two rams are the Median and the Persians. Now, we've read about them already. If you've been journeying with us this summer, in chapter 5 we saw uh, Belshazzar, who was a Persian, and then in chapter 6 we saw Darius, who was a Mede. He was part of the Median Empire. And so the kingdom is first divided between the Persians and the Medians. And then in verse 21, the male goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Verse 21 refers to Alexander the Great. And again, if you know the history of that region, you know Alexander the Great uh, was a general from Greece. Uh, He took power about about the time he was 16 years of age. He became into just massive power to, to overtook the entire region. And then he died in his early 20s. He was only in power for about eight years. And when he died, they divided the kingdom into four different kingdoms among, among his generals. And then the last one, in verse 22, As for the horn that was broken in place were four others, those are the four generals, four kingdoms shall rise from his nation, but not with his power. And then eventually the little horn comes, and the little horn is the Theos Antiochus Epiphanes. Around 200 BC, uh, this man comes in and just destroys the region takes it over with power, destroys the temple of Jerusalem, he wants to be called God. And so he names himself Theos for God. So Theos Antiochus Epiphanes, the one who is to be loved like God, honored like God, revealed like God. And so that's how he named himself. And that's, that's the history. And, and Daniel's looking at this and he, he knows is coming. He's watching as it unfolds before him that, that that whole region is under distress. And as he hears this from the angel Gabriel, this is his response in verse 27. It says, So I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Daniel sees this vision. He sees what's laid out before him. He knows the land and the people that he loves is about to be conquered and destroyed again, as it was once by the Babylonians. It's going to happen again under Antiochus Epiphanes. And he knows this is coming. He knows the temple is going to be destroyed. And all Daniel can do is be overcome with anxiety, with distress and lay in his bed sick for several days. He's just distraught. And as I read this, like, I wondered like, how this feels for us, how this feels for, for us today, how we respond to that type uh, of knowledge, that type of foresight. And the reality is, is, I don't think it's that hard for us to imagine. I don't think it's very hard for us to imagine being in a world where where you look around and anticipate what is coming, that it's easy to anticipate that some of the things Daniel anticipated, destruction of land and people, of power, struggles across the world, that that would come true. You don't have to look very far in the headlines or watch the news to recognize that North Korea is playing with nuclear weapons. That should scare all of us. You have to look very far to, to recognize that there's ISIS and terrorism around the world. Again, that often frightens all of us. Or even locally in our own backyards, you turn on the evening news at night and, and we're reminded that the communities we live in aren't always safe. And that begins to create anxiety and distress. And, and for some of us, it, it does. It makes us want to retreat and pull away. And that's how Daniel felt. And if it's not for the, the worldwide news or the local news, and, and you know, I, I, my wife will tell you I don't love to watch the local news at night. I actually try to avoid it because it just is too depressing. Uh, but I can't escape it, right? We know that. But we also know these things are true in our own lives. We know that for many people, uh, the plans they have made, the, the ways they have organized our lives, the hopes that we have, aren't necessarily playing out the way that we'd hoped for. Uh, one of those, Mark has mentioned Apex Outreach Service Project, and, and AOSP is a phenomenal thing. Part of why it's so phenomenal is we get to journey with families. And not just fix roofs, oh, that's wonderful, or, or floors, or, or try to put vinyl on relatively straight. But we get to hear from families and hear stories of of, of life that didn't quite go the way they expected. I went and visited work sites on Wednesday, and as I was coming in, I got a chance to sit with one of our homeowners. And she was just telling me, as, as our students were working with their leaders in the background, she was telling me that she had lost her husband to cancer last January, and lost one of her nephews to suicide this fall. And she was broken. And she says, one of the things that's been so hard for me is I've been carrying this weight, and there have been many days where I just laid in bed just crying, broken, wouldn't eat, wouldn't drink, just just wanting to just fade away. And she said, but I want to tell you, it's people like these students and like your church that come into my life and they give me hope. These students have been an answer to prayer for my brokenness. That's the stories we get to hear. That's the impact that our students and our families and this church family makes. When, when people look around us and see a life that isn't going or may not go the way we hope for, there is still a hope and there is still a power that, that makes things possible in this life. So the question we begin to ask is, so what do we do with that? What do we do with that weight? What do we do with that anxiety? What do we do with that distress? Where for Daniel, this is what he does. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. Again, he's just seen a vision that the temple was going to be destroyed. And this is what he says so I turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, and then he goes into this great prayer. For Daniel, when Daniel sees those things around him, Daniel's response, Daniel's first response is to retreat from that place and to go to God in prayer, to be a person who goes to prayer. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be people of action, but I will say throughout the book of Daniel, you see this pattern in his life that when distress comes, when, when the brokenness comes, when the pressure comes, Daniel's first response is always to retreat and to go to God in prayer. When Nebuchadnezzar gives them an impossible task in chapter one and two, Daniel doesn't say, I've got the answer, here I am. Daniel says, give me a moment. He retreats with his friends to prayer. If you are with us last week in Daniel six, when Darius says, no more praying to anybody but me, Daniel still every night, every day for three times a day goes to God in prayer. And so my challenge to us is that, and I'm so, so thankful to be part of a church that takes prayer seriously. My challenge is to continue to be a people who pray, continue to be a people who retreat in prayer. And I want to share a quick story this morning from two of our prayer team members, from Ellen Aiken and Lisa O'Neill, who've shared part of why and what prayer has meant to them. Let's watch.
2: So Lisa, um, why, why do we pray? Why do you think it's important to pray? Well, it's our connection to God. It's our power cord. Um, that's how we um, communicate with God. And that's how we develop a relationship. Um, if you, The only way to develop a relationship with you is for me to talk with you. Right. Um, in the same right. way with God, we have to yeah. talk to develop a relationship.
0: And that's what God wants. He yes. wants to have a relationship he with us. He desires that. He knows every hair on our head. He knows what we're thinking before we think it. But he
2: wants to know that we're talking with him and
0: and listening
2: as well. And And it's so humbling to think that a God who created the universe and other things we don't even know of wants to have an intimate relationship with us. Yeah, and prayer is so powerful. It is. One of Mm -hmm. my prayer practices that I've
0: um, picked up lately, probably after we were practicing the Bible study, um, the battle plan for, for um, of the prayer, Yeah, uh-huh. um, is that I, I feel like I have a continual conversation throughout the day, checking in with God, and also praising Him for the things that I see, um, whether it's the birds singing, you know, the flowers blooming, the fact that I didn't get in a car accident, mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> You know, things like that. Um, it's the small things sometimes that he that he wants to hear. You have a really interesting way of um, one of your prayer practices,
2: the breathing one? The breath prayers, yes. Yeah. Um, there's a song by Matt Redman that says, um, Breathing in his grace, breathing out his praise. So I just kind of keep practicing that in the car so that it keeps me calm okay. and it keeps me focused. Um, I'm usually distracted, so mm-hmm. breath prayers, power of Jesus prayers, where um, I'll say to myself, Jesus, friend of sinners, have mercy on me, or thank you for your mercy, just to keep me focused mm-hmm. on, on God throughout the day. How about music?
0: I, uh, I find yes. music
2: powerful in praising yes. God. Yes, that's I pray through music. My radio station in the car is on a Christian radio station. Yeah. And that's I just throw up the songs and Um, and sing them back to him as praise.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's very grounding and positive. Yeah. Yeah. I like to really pray for other people. Um, I keep a notebook in my car. and I I keep it in a bag when I leave. So if I have some free time, Mm -hmm. um, I will look in my notebook and see who's on my prayer list, who needs prayer. And then I just... We'll pray for them. Okay. So I just find that helpful, not just to pray. At it down. Yeah, yeah. for me. Not, not all about what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and then prayers um, in action on mm-hmm. Monday mornings when we do a, a group prayer. It is so powerful to stand together and to pray out loud, which is something that is completely out of my comfort zone. And I've come a long way. I actually love it. Um, I find that you feel God with you as you're praying for other people and lifting, lifting them
1: up. As we close this morning, I actually want to give us three, uh, three questions. If you are someone who takes notes, I'd encourage you to write these down. Uh, I think it's helpful for us to, to leave with, a, with an action to, to go from here. And the questions are this. Uh, the first one is uh, when and where do we pray? When and where do you pray? You know, for us to, to be a people who pray, we have to create space for that. And usually it's intentional space. You heard Lisa and Ellen talk about space, whether it's in the car, whether it's in, in, in the morning. I know that uh, Angela and I talked a little bit this week that, that often we, we create space on walks. Uh, he walks his dog early in the morning, and that's a place where he can find time for prayer. It's important for us to find space for prayer. For Daniel, it was retreating into an upper room, away from everybody else, and praying three times a day. It was a rhythm. It was a it was a time and space that he committed to prayer. Prayer. If we're going to be a people of prayer, we have to commit, uh, possibly calendar, just a when and a where that is part of our daily rhythms of prayer. Uh, the second is with with whom do you pray? Uh, with whom do you pray? Uh, you often see Daniel retreat with with friends. You saw. Uh, Jesus retreat with his disciples. We, we are often, uh, you heard Ellen uh, talk about how she uh, has grown in her corporate prayer, praying out loud in front of other people. It, a part of our task is to gather collectively and, and pray together, pray for one another. Uh, maybe it's with your spouse or with your kids or with a friend or a small group, but it's, it's part of our corporate practices to gather and pray. And so I would ask, you know, who, with whom are you praying? The last week we talked about holy friendships and the relationships we're in. And I wonder if some of those same holy friendships might be people we're praying with. I have five people that any time that besides my wife besides my kids anytime anything major is going on i just i'll send them an email and say pray with me i need you to pray with me it's an important part of our season of our lives and so with whom are you praying the last one is how do you pray and i think this is one of the most common questions that we ask as followers of christ Uh, Jesus' own disciples asked this question they came to jesus and said teach us to pray we don't know we don't know how to pray teach us to pray and there's several ways to do that you heard some in the video this morning Uh, one model is simply the lord's prayer It's the model Jesus gave his disciples, and so if you're looking for a way, a model, to to see what prayer looks like, use that as a great outline. Uh, Another one that I'm going to offer you this morning very quickly is just uh, ACTS, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. It's the same model that Daniel uses in his own prayer where you give adoration to God, you confess our own sin. We don't blame somebody else for the brokenness. We confess our role in it. We give thanks to God, and we ask on behalf of God's people, supplication, uh, which again, uh, Ellen talked about where she has a notebook where she prays for people. And so I would just encourage you with that model as well. So, so however it is, I would just challenge you this week to, to be a people that in all that we do, with all the things that are swimming around us, all the things swarming around us, the, the, the chaos, the, 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 the hard news that we hear both personally and around the world, that we would commit once again to practicing one of those five practices we commit to as members of this church. By our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness, may we be a people and model that uh, with prayer. I'm going to pray uh, for us, and then Corey and the team going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Uh, let's, let's pray. Almighty God, uh, we do come before you as your church. We come before you as your body, and we do offer ourselves to you, praying that you, in your mercy, would hear our prayers. Uh, you promised that you hear the cries of your people, and so this morning, Lord, again, we cry out, And we ask that your Holy Spirit would form us and shape us and again continue to help us become a people who look more like you. And in that, becoming a people who look more like Christ, we become a people who connect with you uh, through prayer. Give us the courage and teach us what it means to be a people of prayer today and every day. In Christ's name.